rising up back on the street. Did my time, took my chances. Get out of here. Yeah, okay. Welcome to Dragon's Cast, a podcast for Drexel alums who discuss whether Facebook ads work for everyone but Russians. But first, we discuss Drexel basketball. We have a slightly different cast today as we're focusing on this episode solely on the women's team to give Drexel fans a primer as we head into the CAA tournament. Joining me today are Bill Tor. And former Drexel player and current color commentator on Dragons TV broadcast, Nikki Jones. What's up? And I'm your host, Marshall Fleming, with Liam Codden producing. So jumping right into it, uh, we are recording this right after a double overtime win for the girls against JMU. They are currently sitting in first place, I believe, if all tiebreakers are uh, correct. And we control our own destiny the rest of the way. Uh, But this win was... uh, It was definitely in question at parts. Uh, We had a couple chances to win it in regulation and at the end of the first overtime. And then finally in double OT, we uh, had a big enough lead that a couple late threes by JMU uh, were not enough to force a triple overtime or win it for them. Um, So, uh, Nikki, what did the team do differently today versus when we played them last time that was able to help with the win? I think with this game, the stakes are higher. and also. Jux is playing at home. I think they play a lot better at home. They're still undefeated. I think they're 12-0 and 0 mm-hmm. right now at the DAC. So just a couple of things, just, you know, paying attention to more details and um, just not being scared and being aggressive on, on offense and crashing the boards, just little things they did differently for this game today. Yeah. Uh, one thing, one big difference I noticed is that JMU really got out and ran. In their first contest, Drexel's not really set up for that. Drexel plays at like the slowest pace in the conference. So Drexel was able to slow them down. And uh, despite a huge size advantage, Drexel held their own on the defensive side and got enough. I think that's another thing that's really important for Drexel as far as like the style of play is playing Drexel basketball. If Drexel tried to play how um, JMU, JMU plays or Northeastern or whatever, Hofstra, like the faster dribble drive teams, we're going to lose because that's not how we play. That's never how Drexel's played. Mm-hmm. So so do you think that was us really imposing our will on them defensively to slow it down? Or did JMU just change up their game plan a little bit? I think it was offensively and defensively because, as, as you can see in offense, Denise likes to call out the plays and mm-hmm. really try to get the most she can get out of a 30 second shot clock mm-hmm. and slow it down and control it. And then defensively, just, I think the dragons have been playing like really great defense. Mm-hmm. Um, not the whole 40 minutes of the game, but in spurts, they show us that they can be really good on the defensive end. Yeah. I think it was towards the end of regulation that JMU came back. we had had it at about an eight point lead most of this game. And then towards the end, JMU came back, took the lead partially. Then we came back and it got to overtime and it was mostly within a uh, possession or two the rest of the way till we got it uh, bigger after that. Um, but one of the things that has kind of plagued the team all year and it really could have won us the game in regulation was our free throw shooting, which is definitely different than previous years. Um, what do you guys see that's different this year that we're not one of the best free throw shooting teams in the country anymore? I think it's just focus. Yeah. Yeah. Their younger players aren't quite as good. They're actually still leading the conference. They're at like 75%, but tonight they were under 50. Mm-hmm. JMU didn't do too well themselves. Um, yeah. but it, their best free throw shooters, probably Kelsey. And with her on the bench fouling out, they had to turn to someone else and 
they were hitting one of two pretty much every time. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like only Sarah Woods was really consistent from the line tonight. At one point, even the ref turned to us and was saying, if I had a dollar for every missed free throw in this game, she'd said she never saw anything like it. So yeah, they, they don't have Gabby or Holly or Camille where you're, or Nikki. It's like guaranteed. Now is it like, <laughs> I'd be like 60% if I'm lucky, but that's still good, especially for them. From a post player, like, yeah. we really focused on free throws every practice. And if we didn't make them, we had to run. So, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's still that, but I don't know. The focus is just different. Yeah, it's surprising to see the difference. It's something that needs to be rectified because if Sarah and Kelsey are their best free throw shooters, not going to be here next year. Right. They, they can't continue a trend of shooting 50%. Yeah. yeah. Especially because they kind of struggle to score at times otherwise. Mm-hmm. Another thing that plays into the free throw shooting is just Drexel as a team, as shooters. It's different than the teams that we've had in the past or we've had legit shooters. Like they will mm-hmm. shoot the ball. They're going to make it. Now they can make it, but I don't think any other team would identify any player as like, this is a shooter. She's going to make it like Megan mm-hmm. Marisic, but it depends on if she's on or if she's off. Right, right. Yeah, she's so. been really- mm-hmm. Nikki's really stepped up the past two games. I mean, she was three for three before she got in foul trouble, and I think she missed a couple. But um, they, they, I mean, they lost their three best scores and three pure scorers from last year, and it's kind of a testament to their team scoring that they just spread it around and kind of got it out every every game. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, to that point, uh, Drexel doesn't have anyone in the uh, top twelve in scoring, but we've got. Kelsey Lidge, Bailey Greenberg, and Sarah Woods all scoring uh, 10 point plus uh, points per game, which is about 13 through 20 in the conference uh, with everyone else. And then you also have Aubrey Brown and Megan Marisic uh, cracking the top 50. Um, but we also don't really have a lot of players in the top 20 in minutes played. We have Sarah Woods at uh, the top uh, for, for Drexel, uh, but 20th in the conference at 30.6, which I think just goes to the depth that Denise has on this team, even without that one star player. Yeah, she's consi- she. That's one thing I think has been a stark contrast between the women's team and the men's team, regardless of who the coach for the guys' team has been. Denise goes deep into the bench the entire year, especially in out of conference, and it pays dividends now because they're they can run ten players out there and be confident in them being successful. And I feel like every year there's just a player that kind of plays a couple minutes and then a few more, and then junior, senior year, they blow up. Hmm. And probably wouldn't happen without that playing time when they're younger. How does that bench depth really help at this point in the year from a player perspective? I mean, as a player, if you're a starter and you get fouled out or you have to take a break for whatever, you want to be able to trust the other girls who are on the bench when they come in and play like if someone is coming in and replacing me I expect them to do you know similar things rebound the ball or you know play good defense or whatever the case is when I got hurt for our right before uh, we won the WNIT Mm -hmm. the person who came to replace me was Renee and she's half my size (laughs) she averaged like eight rebounds or something like that within the 14 games that I missed Mm -hmm. so to have you know that player Whoever the player is, whatever size they are, to come in and and just be the same person that you are, same player that you are, it helps you trust your teammates. Mm-hmm. 
I think that also speaks a testament to Denise's game planning that she can throw different offensive sets out there with whatever player she has available. Right. It, I, I could be wrong, but Kelsey was playing the three for a bit today. I, that might be the biggest lineup Drexel's played since the Twin Tower days. They had, <laughs> they had Kelsey and Nikki and Bailey in the game, which is kind of crazy. Um, and even Megan, I mean, she's playing the two, but she's usually has to slide over. So, um, yeah, they play any different kind of way. Yeah. Do you think um, Nikki has kind of taken Tess's role on the team these last couple games? Because uh, Tess, for people who don't know, Tess is tall, but she's a bit slight, uh, so she can kind of get pushed around a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't say that she's, I guess, taken her role. I think I would say that Nikki Metzl is kind of finally kind of trying to become the player that everybody expects her to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been talking about this all season on on air that, and I play practice still with them sometimes mm-hmm. playing against Nikki Metzl and realizing that she doesn't have the mindset that's going to be like, I'm going to, you know, I have the ball. I'm going to score every single time. She doesn't have that mindset. So playing against her, and she's stronger than me without even realizing it, imagine if she really knew how to use her strength. So I feel like it's more so um, Nikki Metzl just figuring out how to be a player that she can be. She Stepping up the last few games, it's a great trend, and it it seems like – she's trending towards starting in that four or five spot with Bailey next year. And that solves a big problem that Drexel had with, with two of their four, two of their three forwards graduating. So um, Tess has definitely played more sparingly. Uh, Nikki's kind of taken on that backup forward role. So have to see how it goes forward. Tess has had her moments too, but against big, strong teams, it's, it's, it's easier to go to Nikki who's kind of, holding her her own so yeah it seems like that's always been one of the cases uh throughout the last six seven seasons that other caa teams seem to have like three sometimes even four really big bigs and we have more typically nimble even like brooke and jen who were the two tallest players i think we've had uh was jen taller than you mm-hmm, yeah she is. <laughs> yeah um but even they were they're not like as big as some of the players that we play I think Denise and Amy and um, the whole coaching staff just tries to get bigs, but they want someone to be able to move around more faster. Mm -hmm. Like Brooke, like she was able to move faster than, you know, whatever bigger post player um, on another team or myself. Like I'm very athletic, like, Mm -hmm. but I'm tall and long, you know what I mean? So I think they try to get both versus just a big post player that's literally just going to stay in the paint. Yeah. Yeah. And they've done, a really good job this year and every year of just denying post players the ball. Like see the other night against William and Mary, William and Mary's uh, center was kind of beating them up down in Virginia. And then this game, they just, they don't even let the her get the ball. They just jump the entry passes. Well, you don't have to worry about guarding her one-on-one if she never gets the ball. And that's another thing. Like, it's not always about the size of the post player. If you are quicker than the post player and they're posting up, you can literally run around them and get um, the ball or deflect it or get a steal. But this is something that they practice and practice all the time. Post defense, they literally split up guards forwards and they figure out how to get around and they teach that. And it's more about footwork than strength or size. Yeah, For, for people listening that may never have seen them 
play defense. It's really impressive because the post player will back down their player and maybe spin, and then there's another player there. And then they spin the other. Like, they rotate faster than the ball does, and it just frustrates other teams. And somehow they still – they tend not to give up, like, a ton of open threes because they they find their rotations and they stick – stick who they're guarding and it it really helps make up for the size differential. And this is like with whatever team Drexel's playing with the scouting report. This is something that's written on paper. This is a game plan. This is what they practice leading up to whatever team they're playing to know the personnel and it will say on the paper, be there on the catch. So if this person catches, they'll they're there or be there on the turn. As soon as they turn, like they're already ready to jump out and double team and for some reason, teams don't expect this to happen. Like, you can see it on film. It happens all the time. Yeah. One thing I noticed when I was looking through the stats earlier, they're, they're fifth in defensive rebounding, so they're middle of the pack. Offensive rebounding, they're ninth, so they're, they're lagging behind. Towson actually has 20 offensive rebounds a game, which is insane. But reba- the number of rebounds they give up per game, they're leading the conference, which is kind of crazy to me. They, they give up 34 rebounds a game but that's the least in the, the conference so wow. collectively they're i mean it's a it's pace and it's making shots but they're also doing a good job of denying denying rebounds as a whole so yeah yeah to your point earlier on the defensive switching i think uh even a couple of years ago back when marissa crane was on the team and we were going against deladon there would be times marissa was matched up on deladon and obviously elena was going to get hers but I was still fully confident that Marissa could post her up a little bit and exactly what you're doing, get around her and get steals, get deflections. They had Hannah covering Camilla Smalls at the end of the game, and she wasn't getting by her. So Um, they have a bunch of plus defenders, and as a whole, they're really difficult to get by. And um, they force a ton of turnovers, too. They're number one in turnover differential, too, so that helps. It's all the things that you kind of pair together to figure out how this team that doesn't really shoot that the lights out is number one in the conference right now against a couple of really good teams, JMU and Elon. Um, so it, they just do the small things. Yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed today uh, was early on in the game, I forget who the player was for JMU uh, with the two knee pads, but uh, she was one of their bigs and they were getting a lot of uh, last second dump off passes to her that she was getting for easy layups. Is that something we've been susceptible to all year or is that really just JMU throwing it at us for the first time? Well, that, that kind of goes back to what I was saying with the William and Mary. Sometimes they're able to deny the ball and sometimes they're not. And you'll see Denise is quick if it's Bailey or it's Sarah or it's Kelsey. Someone gets off the bench and she tries to rotate things and switch things up. That's kind of when they brought um, they brought Nikki in right after uh, Smalls. She had like seven points in the first couple of minutes. I think she had, she had 14 at the end of regulation. So she only scored seven the rest of the game, and she's their best player. So they did a good job of locking her down. So one of the things as we head into the CAA tournament, we've got a couple games ahead of that. We've got uh, Towson, who the last time we played them in early February, we beat them by 25, 78 to 53. We played Delaware back uh, in Oops. December, beat them seventy-four to fifty-three, and Charleston. Uh, we last played in early February and beat them eighty to fifty-three. So big wins against each of those three teams. Is there anything that concerns you about any of those teams that 
might knock us off this uh, pace for potentially finishing first in conference. Delaware is definitely the best of the three. I mean, College of Charleston was not great last year, and they lost. I think it was Bray Bolden who was their best player. They're not having a good year, but I mean, they they have to be they have to win all three games to retain this number one spot, which is huge because it in a there's a lot of parity in the CAA, but this year. One versus two means you don't play Elon in the semifinal. So not playing Elon in the semifinals is a huge advantage for whichever team gets there. So this year, I think it means more this year than past years. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the Delaware is going to be the toughest game, um, mainly just because it's Delaware and everybody knows, you know, the rivalry between Drexel and Delaware. But um, I think just think the girls need to know what's at stake for all three games and just focus on one game at a time. Yeah. Uh, so I think heading into the tournament itself, it's almost become the expectation that Drexel will at the very least be in the conference semis each year, like the first round games. I don't even remember the last time we lost before the semis. Uh, do you remember? Uh, I think there was one time down in, in Maryland. I think, yeah, it was like maybe 2010, 11 season, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a testament to the team and to the coaches that take care but of But we business. still went to WNIT every year, though. Yeah. yeah or NCAA, depending on whatever. Yeah. yeah, they have, what, 21 or 22 wins now? It's Yeah, this is win 21 on the season, back-to-back 20-win seasons. Um, going into a tournament, uh, the CAA tournament specifically, how does uh, Denise keep the focus uh, for you not to, to make sure you're not looking past those first-round matchups of teams that you might have blown out earlier in the year? Um, I would just say Denise is really good at not doing anything different, not making it a big deal and just, you know, letting the girls know, you know, this is what it is. And, you know, just being straightforward, um, just as far as the way she, um, coaches them in practice, it's like another day, nothing ever changes the same, Mm -hmm. but you know, the games change and you focus on different teams and different personnel. So I think she just keeps it all the same. Yeah. I was at the practice that they had the day before the William and Mary game. I had never sat in on a practice before. It was interesting to me how physical it got. There was one drill, I forget what it was called, but uh, even as the ball went out of bounds, the girls were having to fight for it. 11 man like, break. That was it. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that's in the warm ups. That's not even like the real practice. That's yeah. just warm ups. They were like diving and tackling uh-huh. each other into the seats to get that ball. Right. So the, the game is there's. It's three against two, and then when the the points that really matter is the rebounds. Mm. So as as it goes out of bounds, like if you come up with the ball and you're able to make the outlet pass, then you have a point for rebounds. So once the game's all over, then whoever has the most rebounds wins, and everybody else has to like run or do push ups or something. So yeah, oh, yeah. it's anything goes in that <laughs> game. <laughs> oh man, they were at sixty six percent from the line tonight. So okay. Aubrey was actually nine of twelve, and Sarah was five of six. Bailey was four of six. So it doesn't. It's not too bad. I feel like it just looked worse than what it was. Yeah, I think it was also just key scenarios where we were missing it, mm-hmm. especially in overtime. Right. Going one of two hurts. One of the other things I wanted to talk about is how we have um, we have the tournament at the DAC this year. We had a really good turnout for the game tonight, uh, especially given it, that it was a Friday night. There was a lot of students there. Uh, they were especially making a lot of noise at the end. 
every year you were here, we had to go on the road either to another. Did was it in Maryland all of your years? Um, at that Showplace Arena. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So it's back on college campuses now. Uh, which when we last won it, it was at JMU. But this is the first year we're ever hosting it. Uh, what does that do for just a player mindset to be able to keep your normal routine? Well, I mean, it's weird because I was, I don't remember who I was talking to, but the CAA wants to keep it a neutral site somehow. Like you're at Drexel, like there's dragons everywhere. It's blue and yellow everywhere. So they're talking about trying to cover up the dragon in the middle of the court and just have CAA on it because they want it to be neutral, which doesn't make any sense. Like, First of all, the place in Maryland wasn't even neutral because half the CAA is in Maryland or, you know, DMV area. So I don't know. But (laughs) anyways, as a player, though, to be able to host um, the CAA tournament, is great. Like you're home, like you, they're probably still staying, you know, their their rooms in their dorms. So it'd still be very normal versus being in a hotel for however long. So yeah, hoping we can get a lot of people out. So I think um, we will. Yeah. If they hold the one seed, they'll play at noon on Thursday um, against the eight nine winner. I guess I don't think they receive. I don't think they receive. Um, so they certainly deserve the support. And they were eighth in the conference in in attendance this year, which is kind of upset. There's like a hundred person difference between fourth and eighth, but still, um, JMU averaged like five times as many people as Drexel. So. Um, Hoping we can they get had a people. lot of fans here today too, but the one girl, uh, number three, she's from Philly. Oh, Smalls. Yeah, yeah. she played at Newman Gretty, so oh, makes gotcha. sense. <laughs> that might explain. It's probably the, like uh, half her family. Lady. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things we've almost become as fans, uh, kind of in the back of our mind, is we're never used to fully winning at Drexel, uh, even when we've had the great teams like they've gone up against Delaware, who had lucked into having Deladon two years uh, and meeting them in the championship. Um, so if, knock on wood, we win, but if we don't and we make it all the way to the championship game, let's say we win out until then, that would put us, I think, at 26 wins. Is that good enough for an at-large bid? I say yes, because our final after the WNIT was 28. Yeah, and we played. Uh, how many games was it? In it? Like six or something yeah. like that. So I think so. I'd like to think so. Um, it's tough for a mid major to get. If you look at, uh, if you look at the uh, years past, it's tough for mid majors to get at large. I was looking at some of the bracketology. The CAA was as high as thirteenth, which is, and then one had JMU as a fifteen seed, which is the CAA is the tenth ranked conference out of thirty two. So that's insane to me. Yeah. Um, there's JMU three. had a tough out of conference, didn't they? Or not not necessarily tough on teams, but they didn't fare well in out of conference. No, they didn't. And they, I think they didn't do that great. They didn't do that great um, to start the see. I, I think they they lost their game up front. I think, and then they've kind of been off to the races. Um, William and Mary was like ten and two and out of conference. So um, there's some really strong teams and. The CAA on the women's side has been really impressive for a very long time. So I think the league as a whole deserves the respect of a second bid. Yeah. Well, hopefully it doesn't come to that and we can just win the thing on our home court. Uh, Hopefully fans turn out. 
uh, championship game would potentially be on the same day as uh, Aaron Express. So <laughs> fans can be decked out in their green and support the blue and gold pregame here. That should be fun. <laughs> yeah. So before we wrap up, just wanted to thank both Nikki and Bill for joining us and for Leon for producing this episode. And thank you to the Drexel Athletics Department for allowing us to record in the Dragon Room at the DAC. Uh, as we close out the season, we'll have another episode for the men's team prior to the tournament in Charleston. Uh, our normal podcast crew will be in Charleston as well, so hit us up on Twitter if you're going to be there yourselves. And ticket books are still available for the women's tournament, uh, like we were just talking about. They absolutely deserve the support. They're undefeated at home. Hopefully they can keep it that way, even if the deck is technically going to be neutral. Hashtag for girl power. Girl power. <laughs> Love it.